Hello and welcome to Two Bald Men and Friend, the show where we talk about issues and ideas using pop culture as the springboard. I'm your host, Joe, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Alex. Hola! And today we are joined by our friend, Dan. Hello! Today we're talking about Sorry to Bother You and morality and capitalism. So spoiler alert for Sorry to Bother You. Sit back, relax, or if you're driving, remain upright and continue to drive vigilantly. So, Alex, do you think you could give us a short synopsis of Sorry to Bother You? Um, Sorry to Bother You follows this protagonist, Cash, and he is very poor. And a big part of the plot is him getting a brand new telemarketing position. And he is trying to make as best calls as he can and making a lot of sales so that he can become a power caller. And a power caller um, makes more money. One thing I didn't mention, it's basically a dystopian future. Actually, it's a dystopian alternate universe because it seems like it's present day. And there are, you notice a lot of quirks along the way as to how society functions and what's happening based on commercials and the types of TV shows that exist. And so the movie is just exploring that universe and seeing what Cash is up to. Yeah, it's a very hyperbolized version of our world, I'd say, like, a lot of ideas taken to their extremes where the most popular television show is I just got the bleep kicked out of me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I definitely <laughs> re-emphasize what Joe said. Um, this is a major spoiler warning because I definitely think that this movie is the best going in blind. So this would not be one of the episodes where our episode will convince you to watch the movie. Definitely go watch the movie first. Yeah, speaking of going in blind, I thought it was... Um kind of interesting i saw no advertisement for this movie at all did you guys see like any trailers or commercials or anything alex and i both saw the the trailer yeah i i have a twitter account that only has four followers and i only follow like 50 people Mm -hmm. and so it my news feed or what's that called Timeline. Okay, yeah. Feed, whatever. It's, it's yeah, very yeah. Uh, My, concentrated. We know what you mean. <laughs> My Twitter feed is definitely very concentrated and isolated to just those 50 people. And so a lot of them are directors and uh, Hamilton stars. <laughs> and so when I saw a lot of like blind spotting um, advertisements, I also ended up, it rolled into like, sorry to bother you advertisements. So I've been seeing these types of commercials for months now. Okay. Um, how would you guys say that the movie compared to those advertisements? Um, it is a mixed bag in the sense that it initially the trailer sort of pulls its punches. I'm like, okay, this is material from within the first 20 minutes, but then it sort of sprinkles in events that you sort of have no context for and can't make sense of. So the trailer I took away, I was like, oh, it's sort of like a workplace comedy like office space or something with sort of like the black perspective it's not about that at all (laughs) (laughs) um i saw the trailer uh pretty early on and i was able to not continue to watch the trailer so after like i saw it once i didn't think to have to keep watching alternate uh versions as more trailers came out so after i watched the movie i went back and saw the trailer because i wanted people to see it but I knew they hadn't heard about it. And when I saw the trailer, I was like, whoa, there's a there's a lot of points in this that I wouldn't want to have seen with going into the movie. It reminded me of the, in the trailer of Get Out, where the guy screams, get out, get out. I wish that hadn't been in the trailer because that was a pivotal point in the movie. And that's how I felt with a lot of the points in Sorry to Bother You. 
But then I kept thinking about it, and I was like, actually, they're only spoilers because I've already seen the movie, and I understand the context, and I know what this is. Yeah. So some trailer-making genius knows the psychology behind it Yeah, where you don't remember these I'm very moments. guilty of that, where if I've seen a movie and people are like, oh, no spoilers, I'm like, okay, how can I word this in such a way that someone with no context would uh, understand what I'm talking about? <laughs> um, so, Dan, you kind of brought up the idea of, like, a workplace comedy, like, office space, but from the black perspective. Um, and I agree, that's not really what it is, but I do enjoy the idea of exploring Cash's, like, rise to wealth from the black perspective. Um, so in the movie, uh, when he first gets the telemarketing job, he's not that good at it. He can't really make any sales. And then Danny Glover, who's in the movie, which I was surprised at that, um, he tells him to use a white voice. And after, like, a conversation of what that means... Cash starts speaking with it, and then he's able to make sales. And he feels good about himself. He's mm -hmm. successful and good at his job by employing this. He's like, literally, the uh, the floor manager is like, hey, Tiger, rake up those sales or whatever. And uh, there's even <laughs> like a too long of a montage. <laughs> yeah, I high fives. <laughs> I hated the camera angle in that montage. It didn't emphasize the fact that the light was blinking. Mean, whatever, this is just artsy, nitpicky <laughs> stuff, but way too long a montage. The I, camera angle was Well, weird. I think the too long of the montage was purposeful. I don't know if what you're talking about was purposeful, but I think they extended it until we were uncomfortable. Yeah. And I yeah. think that was And it's point. like, oh, look at how much he's excelling, and everyone around him is, like, miserable and, and not excelling. Yeah. Um, at the expense of his coworkers. Mm -hmm. I sort uh, of Within... The trailer and also within the movie, one amusing aspect that I thought was going to be the sci-fi fantasy aspect of it was that when he makes a call, his cubicle goes into the room that he's in. Mm -hmm. And then he's like almost interacting with these people like face to face. And I thought that the majority of the plot of the movie was going to revolve around this idea because the first time he like falls through into someone's room, he's l literally looking around like, where am I? Where am I? So it was like literally happening to him, but it really wasn't like, it was just like something that helped yeah. for artsy purposes. Yeah. And like portraying that discomfort of like being within someone's like daily routine and just sort of inserting yourself as a salesman, mm -hmm. just hit painted that discomfort beautifully. Yeah. There is a payoff when he uh, is making a sale to someone and he pushes his bidet for him. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> sort of a high priority uh, customer and he's buttering him up with his, uh, his white David Cross voice from the rest of the development. And it's literally like no euphemism for like brown nosing or wipe, um, wiping someone's ass. He's... Quite literally, pushing the button <laughs> of the bidet and wiping, wiping his ass. It was ass. a very intimate moment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And then he ends up making, like, a huge sale and getting super rich. Yeah. But uh, definitely going back to the whole white voice idea and how Danny Glover was sort of the mentor, it started to reveal what I thought was going to be the, the crux of the movie of this concept of black man succeeding when they act whiter. Mm -hmm. And it was definitely this feeling of, like, giving up a little bit of your blackness in order to succeed. Yeah, like, having to assimilate to a certain, um, 
like mannerism and way of speaking. Um, I've definitely heard in like different jobs I've had people use a white voice. Um, I feel that like even I as a white person might have a white voice like, uh, oh, there's a way you're supposed to speak. Yeah. While using, but obviously it's you know much more extreme for. Have you ever seen um, that uh, that post on social media where it's a bunch of graduation quotes and one African American graduate she her quote is literally anything's possible when you sound like a white female in a voice yeah. on the phone. <laughs> um, I definitely know that all of us have different voices. Like especially if we need something or need to ask a favor of someone, we have mm-hmm. different voices for that. But it's not taking away our culture to do it <laughs> yeah no yeah that wasn't what i was getting <laughs> no no i know mm-hmm. um but it's just that if you don't ever have to experience that that would be one way to relate to it is like well when you need something you might ask just a little bit whinier for like a, in a black mentality when you need to succeed in a career you you kind of need to do that potentially and that's what i thought the statement of the movie was going to be it took a completely yeah, different direction. Totally different direction. <laughs> In a smart way. <laughs> yeah. Um, before we get into the completely different direction, I also want to talk about um, once Cash gets to be a power caller, he gets the promotion, he meets um, a character named Mr. Blank. And when I say Mr. Blank, when they say his name in the movie, it's censored. And he doesn't have a real name. And so... Um, He's, the, he's kind of like his supervisor on the power collar floor, and he also uses a white voice. He's also black. Um, and when he first gets there, he goes, Hi, nice to meet you. White voice at all time, please. And so it's this, it's again the idea of to be successful, you have to give up your blackness. But then his name is Mr. Blank, and it's kind of like giving up your blackness means giving up your identity. Like, you don't have a name anymore. You don't have your real voice anymore. Like, all your mannerisms are gone. Yeah. Um, And there's this pivotal moment for the very first time late in the movie. We hear Mr. Blank's regular voice. And literally, it it shook me. Mm -hmm. Like, if he is willing to turn off his white voice, something is going down. And something is going to happen. I thought that was an incredibly artistic and smart choice to make in that scene. Yeah, it definitely mm-hmm. shatters all the sort of pompous social structure that Mr. Blank had uh, uh, grandeurized up in this point. Like, you're going to be at this party, right? This is important. Like, who cares about what your friend's uh, art gallery thing is doing? Like, you're going to be here? Oh, welcome here is Steve, which I'm sure isn't uh, a jab at Steve Jobs whatsoever. <laughs> <laughs> and when that happens, it's at a point where Cash is kind of like realizing he's given up his culture and identity Mm -hmm. and so it it really like you said it shook you where it's like oh he's like i need to talk to him as a black man like that's the only way we're gonna connect yeah like his line is don't ruin this Mm -hmm. like don't don't mess this up because this is the best you're gonna get yeah don't do that thing you do what's that thing i do fuck it up (laughs) yeah where you get where you get in the way of yourself yeah Yeah. Um, he says um don't cry about what should be thrive and what is and this is the way it is and it's like oh shit <laughs> yeah and those are like the two choices that you have yeah. at a certain point when you're a minority is try to change oppression <laughs> yeah. or adapt to it and that's a dangerous mentality there's even a scene where cash wakes up and he starts using his white voice immediately 
and his girlfriend is like, don't use that around me. And he's like, oh, I, I didn't even notice that it was yeah. on. And I was like, oh, oh no, is he going to yeah. turn white by the end of the movie? That's what I, at that point I was like, oh man, is this, uh, going to wake up as David Cross. Oh, <laughs> um, so a few more things about like giving up your identity. So Cash's full name is Cassius Green. Um, I didn't get the pun until they kind of like spell it out for you in the movie and it's mm -hmm. cash is green and it's like, oh, like money. <laughs> um, so he's look and he starts the movie off and he's looking for money. He's looking for cash, but as he gets cash, he also loses himself. So like as he gets cash, he loses cash. So good on you, director. <laughs> I just thought that was a fun little and screenwriter and screenwriter. Cute, cute, cute. I definitely want to get into the supporting cast before we delve into like the big twist, uh, talking about Squeeze, who is played by Glenn from Walking Dead. I'm sure he has a real name, but and the, yeah, it's uh, Squeeze. It's <laughs> fiance character Detroit. She was the uh, sort of rebel art artist without a cause. Yeah, and she's played by um, Valkyrie from Thor Ragnarok. Yeah. <laughs> uh, one of the scientist chicks from Annihilation. Uh, oh yeah, I forgot. She and she's that. also in uh, the Dear White People movie. And the Dear White People series, but a different character. You might know her from Sorry to Bother You. <laughs> she also the Marine in Avatar. Uh, whatever. <laughs> um, so yeah, so starting with Squeeze, um, he kind of eventually becomes what Cash wants to be. Like, as Cash loses himself, Squeeze kind of embodies what cash like used to be and what detroit his fiance wants cash to be or mm -hmm. wants to see in someone exactly yeah. yeah right um so a big plot is that squeeze is trying to develop a union and he's trying to unionize the telemarketers because they're not being paid well they don't have, have rights they don't have any rights like if they take a lunch break and because of that don't make enough calls then they're then they get fired like things like that and you see right around the time that he's unionizing is around the time that Cash is sort of improving, improving at, his... at his job and thus realizing, like, should I put myself first or should I put this group first? Yeah. And Cash, um, he chooses Cash, Cash money. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think they develop his character enough where I'm still on his side when he chooses himself. Yeah, definitely. There's even a moment where he's walking past his uh, his protesting co-workers and says, uh, Cash, what the, are you, um, are you with us? What's sort of the deal? And he's like, I'm, I'm sorry, man. I gotta pay back my uncle, who's like, I'm already four months behind on rent, and he's gonna lose his home. Like, I need this. And then to which Squeeze or Glenn from The Walking Dead responds, it's like, I mean, that's what we're all trying to do here. We're all trying to get paid right. like, cash. And... and and it's like, well, I made it, though. Yeah. So yeah. I happen to be... And, like, he's also conflicted with the fact that he's never been good at anything in his life. And so this is also, like, an the ego thing. boost mm -hmm. of a... I don't want to give up on this. Yeah, he's li he literally walked into the job interview with a bunch of fake trophies yeah. and references and, <laughs> and landed it and succeeds. He also has a fun line of, like, I'm with you but on the sidelines. Yeah. Like, I'm willing to support you behind the scenes, kind of. And he has an exchange with his friend, A Salvador. super passive-aggressive. <laughs> where, they, where they're like, well, I hope you have a nice day. 
what? Well, I hope you have a nice week. Well, what about a nice <laughs> month? And it goes back and forth like that with different things. And they start zooming in on different characters where they were like, oh, man, this is, they're really getting it off. And then they their faces start turning like, wait, are what's <laughs> happening? They're still going, oh, we should just break them up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. but eventually <laughs> Danny was like, not stop. I thought that was such a fun little exchange. <laughs> You're tearing us apart, Lisa. <laughs> Um, so a little bit more about Detroit. So she is an artist. She, um, the whole movie is kind of building up this art expo that she's going to put on. And she uses her white voice during it, which I thought was, um, a very cool choice. Yeah. I thought it definitely is important to have that distinction within the movie of, is there a quote unquote correct time to use a white voice? Was she a hypocrite for using her white voice or was she using it for good? Like, that's definitely something that's worth debating. Mm-hmm. Before that, though, I want to get into Detroit's earrings because yeah. they freaked me out. <laughs> yeah. Well, first off, I was like, goodness gracious, like, how are ears supporting Lobes. those things? <laughs> like, they're, they're, they're like as big as a hand. But cinematically, anytime she had new earrings, the the characters would acknowledge them and then the camera would pan to them and then it would tilt a little bit and then this ominous music would be playing and then something weird would be going on in the background every single time. (laughs) And I was like, what is happening with these earrings? Is this where the fantasy comes in? What does it mean? (laughs) And I still don't know. I think if I watch it a second time, I'll be able to like... A big part of the movie was like... be. I was just anxious for a big part of the movie because I knew something was going to happen and I didn't know what. Mm. It does a great job of, like, creating this sense of this sinister underlying dread that isn't obvious, but you can feel it's there. Yeah, it's like... I wouldn't even go so far to say as dread. It's just, like, even as stuff is happening and you're happy for cash, you just see stuff in the world and you're like, something is not right. Yeah. Yeah. And so I'm hoping, if I watch it a second time, to be able to... get more from the movie because I no longer have that worry or like anxiety of what's going to happen next but I can watch it and just look for all those hints along the way Mm -hmm. hopefully (laughs) (laughs) yeah (laughs) um so back to Detroit's white voice I just thought it was super interesting because like you said Alex it's kind of like is there a right way to use it is she using it for good and I thought it was interesting to be like Um, because cash is in like a business setting. So it's like, oh yeah, like if you need to be in a business setting, you know, you're going to have to give up your blackness. But even Detroit as an artist gave up part of her identity and her whole art expo was about Africa and she still gave up that part of her identity. Yeah. And she shared some important facts um, about like the creations of our technology and what we take for convenience sake is destroying countries and entire continents. Um, And I think that statement that they make will tie in later with the twist at the end Mm -hmm. because it's this idea of we either we accept what we can't control because we see it as problematic, but we also dismiss it as nothing we can solve. And so we continue to use the conveniences that we have. And that's frustrating to yeah. be to shine that mirror right in front of me. <laughs> I will say the movie literally says like exactly what you just said. Towards the end, after the twist, 
um, Cash is like, these people don't even care. And Squeeze literally goes, well, they knew that they couldn't change it, so they just decided to get used to it. And I was like, movie, like, show don't tell. But also, like, thanks for making it easy, I guess. I don't know. Am I feeling attacked? Yeah. yeah. Is this about me? Do you think I'm done? Oh, God. I'm calling my congressman right now. Right now in the theater. Uh, just to drop my thoughts real quick for Detroit's white voice. So at first, she's the one chastising um, Cash for using it in sort of like the bed by accident or whatever. And sort of when she's presenting her, um, what she's poured her heart and soul into with this Africa expose, like, I'm not sure if that's a, a jab and oh, in order to make this even digestible to the world and consumers, I need to butter it up and white it up because I can't even uh, portray, like, my culture honestly to the world and expect it to land. Like, I need to, I literally need to beauty it up and make it digestible with this, um, yeah, <laughs> this voice. I didn't even think of that. Yeah. It reminds me of uh, the Stranger Things season two, where they have to quote unquote dilute the story, exactly, so that yeah. more people are willing to accept it as reality and thus fight against and it. And have actual change. Yeah. yeah, if it's too absurd, people either not believe it or not believe that they could overcome it, and thus stay stagnant. Mm-hmm. So that's Which pretty. Is what the next part of the movie feeds into the an absurdity that you can't accept, and then how do you face that? Um, so before we get to the spoiler, I want to get into one commercial that is seen a lot within mm-hmm. this universe. It's this colony called Worry Free, and it entices people by telling them that they get free room and board. You sort of sign this contract. And you get these great meals, and you you're live given in a job, beds. no questions asked. Correct. And um, basically, the idea is you work nine to five for free, quote unquote. But they're giving you everything, and so you're worry free. You don't have any bills. They take your debt, and all, and then you can have your own life once you're not working. Mm-hmm. Which for a lot of people is their goal. Like I just want to find a job that'll pay the bills, and that way I can explore my hobbies simplifies it to be worry free and these commercials keep on stressing the efficiency of it efficient housing efficient Mm -hmm. like room and board and yeah um and they even have this interview with steve lift and he's like what do you what do you mean slave labor like this can't be slave labor because people are signing up for it they're volunteering for it uh, and so all these analogies to slavery yeah. is ludicrous because they sign a paper. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, it definitely has this like mentality of a, the illusion of choice. Like who is so desperate where they have to sign something like this just to get by versus like now there's these people who are willing to sort of victim blame basically. Like, well, if you were willing to sign the paper, then it is your fault that you're in this situation. And yeah, how can we be held accountable for your situation even though... Literally, we've constructed our society where we sort of create these absolutes that people have no choice but to sign themselves over to worry-free in this alternate universe. So knowing about worry-free is important because Cash eventually does successfully become a power caller. And one of the twists along the way is finding out what power callers are selling. And uh, Mr. Blank starts describing that they sell... Um, missiles and like nuclear war like to different countries and they also sell a lot of their product is worry-free employees and cash is quick to say wait so like 
they are slaves, like it is slave labor, and Mr. Blank is like, oh, you're quick. Yes. Hmm. And just, and he, yeah. he doesn't sugarcoat it. He doesn't try to hide it. He just says, yes, that's exactly what it is. And Cash starts feeling uncomfortable, and eventually they show him the paycheck, and he immediately turns his white voice on again and is like, where do I start? Well, I guess I'll have to buy more suits. That's, yeah, yeah. that's what he says. That's perfect. <laughs> and that's definitely for me the turning point of like, all right, I'm on Cash's side. Ooh. I totally recognize why he said yes, but I'm no longer on his side. And but- the movie even um, illustrates this with... Um, the um, the unionizers have now just gone straight up rioting in front of his company Regal View that he's being escorted in by a SWAT team and gets nailed on the head with uh, cola. cola and for the remainder of the movie he has this bandage on his head that's like literally portraying I am bleeding as a character and like mm-hmm. yeah and so that was a big part of the movie of seeing Cash's con- conflict of mm. ah I want to keep making sales because this is what I'm good at. And I want to keep the money, and I don't want to go back to living in a garage, but... (laughs) (laughs) But here here we go. (laughs) Which I think should uh, lead us to that major twist that I really want to get into now. Yeah, so um, once he's a power caller, Cash is still very successful. He's still making a lot of sales and making a lot of money. And so because he's doing so well, Steve Lift, the president of the company, invites him to a party at his house. At the party, we see Cash is like sort of starting to get uncomfortable with everything. This is kind of, I think this is where he realizes he's given up himself. And then Mr. Blank comes in with his white voice off and he says, Hey man, Steve wants to talk to you. Go talk to him. Like, I don't care what you're feeling right now. Like, you need to go make this deal. Cash goes to him. Steve starts explaining um a plan to him but cash is like oh, wait i really have to use the bathroom first let me go and then he goes into the wrong door which is not the bathroom and it is revealed that worry free is turning people into horse hybrids there are horse people hybrids <laughs> in the movie that equestus sapiens yeah equestus uh, <laughs> sapiens e- e- yeah equus sapiens uh, i looked it up <laughs> i wanted to make sure cuz i can't Stress this enough, listeners. There are horse people in the movie. No indication that this was a thing up until this point, except maybe the fact that Steve's Steve Lips book is him riding a horse on the cover. Yeah. Otherwise, nothing else. In the in his office while he's talking to Cash, I like they pan out a little bit, and I'm like, oh, there's a bunch of pictures of horses all around. I bet that means something. I bet we're gonna find something out later. And then 30 seconds later, it's horse people. I was so shocked. The reveal was so good because he's he's looking for the bathroom and he basically finds stalls. And he's like, oh no, this is like a party that I'm at. These guys are probably like drunk and yeah. like need help. And the guy's like, I need help. And he's like, all right. Like, uh, I kind of, like, want to go. And then he hear, like, a thud on the door. And he's like, oh. He's, see, it's what he says next. Throws him off. It's, please, I'm hurting. Yeah. And they're mm-hmm. like, oh, okay, this is. <laughs> yeah. And then he opens the door and the horse person just collapses. And me, the audience member, is screaming. And Cash, <laughs> the audience member, is screaming. And 
I'm the looking worst around. person is screaming. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And I'm looking around like, who, who, who do I tell about this? I yeah. literally immediately want yeah. to tell someone about this. And then Steve Lift comes in with a gun and he's like, what are you doing? And he's like, what are you doing? There's a horse person here. Um, this is why I wanted you to watch the, yeah. the, the, the the film thing. It all makes sense. And so then he plays him the video that he was going to play him before Cash went to the bathroom. And it explains that worry-free workers are, you know, not the best that they could be. So worry-free is now combining people with horses to make them stronger and durable and, like, work harder. And more complacent. Yeah. <laughs> and it's 70% effective. <laughs> Yeah. Increase efficiency. And so, um, this is just the furtherance of the idea of first you give up your blackness, then you give up your identity, and then you give up your humanity. Like, you're not even a person anymore. Because Steve gives him this really, quote-unquote, sweet <laughs> deal where he's like, hey man, you become a horse person and you be like their leader. He says you'll be the Martin Luther King Jr. of the horse people. Five years. Except that we control you. Yeah. Yeah. He's, he, he's like, you want like a fake like leader for these people? And he's like, yeah, I just wanted to be someone I'd know. It's, it's much easier that way. <laughs> I'm not crazy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and so, yeah, he, he gets into like, it's only for five years and it's a hundred million dollars. So 20 million per year for five years. And then you'll be back to normal. We'll give you the serum. I don't even know if that's a real thing. What? <laughs> yeah. And, uh, he also snorted a, a spiral of cocaine right before and so he's like wait wait did you just did you give me this the uh, thing right now am i a horse person yeah in the video it's shown how they get people to do it is by like snorting a white powder and so cash is like did i just snort the horse powder and steve is like no no i would never do that like mm -hmm. as if it's so absurd because obviously when you do something like force people against their will to turn to horse people, you categorize him as like a super villain. And so he has this ulterior motive yeah. and he really gets into like, I'm not crazy. I'm just in it for the money. Yeah. And yeah. he thinks that's enough of an explanation. <laughs> yeah. He has a great exchange where Cash is like, what the fuck is going on? Like, I don't even know what's going on right now. You turn people into horses for profit. And Steve's like, exactly. yeah, it's not irrational. It's not I make more money irrational. this way. And I thought that was a very fun exchange of him literally thinking, like, I'm not doing anything wrong. You know, Which is just showing how blatantly upfront and, like, evil some capitalistic ideas. Yeah, it's just the extension of, like, well, it can't be slave labor. They're signing up for it. Yeah. So now it's like, well, it can't be slave horse people. They signed up to be horse people. <laughs> and so that starts the beginning of the third act, and it's a really, really high point. And so I'm pumping in this theater with adrenaline. I'm freaking out. I have no idea what's going to happen next. Cash wakes up in his bed and is like trying to figure out what he's going to do next. And he is unsuccessful in convincing society that this is a problem. He first off, he can't get his message out too easily. So he goes on the beat the shit out of me show yeah. so that he mm -hmm. can play a video that he has of the horse people Everyone so, yeah. sees it. He goes on a bunch of talk show hosts and and there's a montage of it. And ultimately, society stays about the same. Mm -hmm. It's funny because he sort of, he literally gets turned into a meme 
of sorts. It's like, oh, yeah. it's the uh, the cola guy or whatever, and which obviously he hates if anyone got turned into like a meme with such negative connotations around it. So he literally has to like, okay, let me buy into this whole meme thing and use this craze to try to sell myself on a platform to tell you that uh, worry free is literally turning people into horses. Yeah, <laughs> and that's where we get into that line that Joe is describing that Squeeze explains because cash is coming in and he's like i'm telling everyone the truth and people are believing it as the truth so that's not the problem but they're still complacent and squeeze is like well yeah because they can't do anything about it or they don't think they can do anything about it and therefore they adapt to the problem that they don't like because it's easier to live that way and it gets into i mean what i think of uh the theory of moral sentiment by adam smith where your brain can only handle so much emotion before it just physically hurts you. And there's this sense of you need to adapt to problems in order to survive. But if an entire society adapts to a problem, now it's oppression. (laughs) (laughs) Not to totally derail your point, but um, while Cash is trying to get the message out, Detroit makes a statue that says worry free turns its workers into horses and this guy's looking at him be like wow what a great metaphor and then detroit's like no i think the artist wanted it to be literal they actually turn people into horses and i would love if this movie is doing that where it's like (laughs) oh wow capitalism like does turn its workers into animals and then the director's like no there's a company turning people into horses (laughs) oh no (laughs) I will say for as much as sort of, not necessarily pointless, but like just the uh, anarchist rebel without a cause vigilantism that we see against uh, worry free and such, that sort of paper mache horse in front of the building getting fucked, it was, I think, the most effective. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And so finally, after Squeeze is like, well, people, you know, they don't think that they can change anything, Cash is kind of like, okay, well, we're going to do something, we're going to if we can keep the power callers from getting in, then, like, we win, right? And so they devise a plan to, like, keep the power callers from getting inside. And it seems that they do win. The power callers don't get inside. They free the um, Equisapiens that were trapped in Steve's mansion. And then they unionize. Cash goes back to working at the telemarketing company as, like, a regular caller. And he moves back to the garage, and things seem fine. And I think they purposefully don't address what happens to Worry Free under the mentality of nothing is going to happen to them. Mm -hmm. Like this idea of, yeah, it's going to be revealed. Even if they get stopped, they're still going to maintain their power as a company. The housing crisis of 2008, if you've ever seen The Big Short, a few people are going to get a slap on on the wrist and then nothing will change. Yeah. (laughs) Um, It also reminds me of season one of Mr. Robot, where this big major company gave a bunch of their employees cancer. And so this really long lawsuit is is drawn out and all of the still living um, employees or ex-employees get money like they each get like almost 50 million dollars and so they see it as a win and then they go to the company and the company's like oh yeah we we knew that this lawsuit was coming like 10 years ago so we've been actually saving up for it so we have more money than what we've had to pay out 
because we've been saving up for it. This didn't affect us at all. We're still the company that we have been. Mm-hmm. And it's just a slap in the face of that wasn't a win in the slightest. <laughs> I think they specifically mention um, after cash gets out that the horse people exist, the company's money, act, uh, their stock value increases. Yeah, that was a really interesting point. Because yeah. they're like, oh, horse they people have more efficiency. More efficiency. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Ooh, buying up that stock. So it's kind of like, yes, down here, that seems terrible to us, but up there, if they're like, well, I'm not the horse person, <laughs> and that means I get more efficient workers for the same price or less, so, you know, yeah, make them a horse person. Mm-hmm. And then, and we also see that nothing really happens to Steve. Until the very end, because at the very, very end... Oh, before we get to the very, very end, I'm sorry. I just want to point out, so at the beginning, we see Cash is living in his um, Uncle Terry Cruz's garage. And at the end, he moves back into the garage, but it has, like, all the furniture from his... Fancy studio apartment. apartment. Yeah, so it's kind of like, oh, things are the same, but they're better now. So that was a nice ending, but then... (laughs) Then Cash closes the garage door and sort of hits his nose. And he's like, ow, ow, ow. And he lifts up his hands and it's turning into, I guess, a horse nose. Yeah. And it's like, what? And then they roll credits. And you're like, <laughs> "Yeah, wait, wait, someone tell me this is a Marvel movie and there's yeah. an after credits. And less than 30 seconds later, there is an after credits because I, pe- I think they did that just to freak people out. Yeah. But the real ending comes in. Where a bunch of the Equisapiens break into Steve's mansion and are gonna kill him, I'm mm-hmm. guessing. And I think that was just another nod to the fact that nothing really happened to Steve. Yeah. <laughs> until the end. And so it's kind of like a happy ending where, like, Cash gets his revenge and the Equisapiens get their revenge, but also a sad ending because now he's a horse person and, like, Again, nothing really happened to Steve, <laughs> other than you know yeah, probably yeah. getting killed by the Equisapiens. But overall, nothing happened to the company. Yeah, yeah. And it felt very strange to me in the sense of as things were winding down and we saw him in his fancy little garage get up. Mm-hmm. It felt all very tied up in a bow, and then I felt like this just sort of slapped it in for the sake of it. It felt mm-hmm. very like, oh, this seems unnecessary, but I'll bite. I think I, I think that was like on purpose. I think it was uh, just more of a nod of like, yeah, like it doesn't always end out in a nice little bow. You know, sometimes you end up life is complicated and you get uh, cancer, cancer, get, <laughs> or, or what you think is a bow is is, is a horse person. A horse <laughs> a horse. <laughs> yep, that was the metaphor I was going to use. <laughs> um, I do enjoy in the end credit scene. He's like, "Hi, this is Cassius Green from." Equisapiens are about to fuck you up, company. Sorry to bother you. And I'm pretty sure sorry to bother you is, like, the last line that's said. So I was, I was like, oh, that's a, that's a fun little, like... Um, even if it wasn't, that phrase is still funny. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to get that in there. Yeah. It's it, totally... Pretty sure it was. Yeah. yeah, overall, just the phrase of sorry to bother you is similar to I'm not racist, but... Where yeah. you know, obviously not that extreme, but you know you're going to bother the person, it, but precisely. you're saying it anyway, yeah. just to, to make yourself feel better or to like create like a sort of, <laughs> That's sort of <laughs> shovel the guilt off of you and then continue with your sales pitch. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry I laughed. I just remembered one of the, one of the funniest lines is when um, Mr. Blank is explaining the power call stuff and he's like, whenever someone needs a warhead, 
we're there to call it the right time, which is, of course, dinner. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> so it's like they're doing it on purpose. Uh-huh. And even when he's making that uh, slave trade deal, like the uh, the Chinese client is on the toilet with the yeah. bidet. <laughs> um, and so as soon as I left the theater, I texted everyone I knew to say, go watch this movie. And then I texted everyone I knew who already saw the movie to talk to them about it. (laughs) And overall, there are mixed feelings as to whether or not that addition of fantasy was necessary to get the point across. And I've been hearing a lot of people compare it to Get Out, where the big twist at the end of that, which I should say spoiler alert, just in Mm -hmm. case, is um, the horror film turns even more horror when they find out that what's happening is the black people are being used strictly for their bodies and they're making a brain switch where a white person can live in a black body because they know that the physical body is superior but they still think that the the brain is inferior and they want their consciousness in it and a lot of for a lot of people that was off-putting i was like i mean they were making a statement mm-hmm. why did they turn this weird corner into sci-fi fantasy when it could have been made the same way in a different way <laughs> it's like uh to show you up front that that's the point we're trying to make so you can't sidestep around it that's why <laughs> here's the problem that you cannot um evade how do you face it see i have mixed feelings about the twist in this movie because I agree, like, oh yeah, put it up front, they're, ter- like, they're treated as animals, they give up their humanity, but I feel that they were making a different statement about, like, culture and race, and then, boom, out of nowhere, horse people. <laughs> um, it ju- it's, which I guess is kind of what made it a twist. Immediately, I was like, that twist, not that it was unnecessary, but I think it was made kind of sloppily, but then at the same time, I was like, how do you introduce horse people, <laughs> like, other than just ripping the band-aid off? I definitely was shocked, and there was this sense of, like, I don't know if I Absurdity. like Absurdity, yeah. 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 And so I agree, for a large population, it might not hit home. And it's gonna be, like, the main conversation is gonna be, was the fantasy necessary, rather than what they're trying to get at which is the statement of um like slave labor and our existence and is our nine to five job slave labor is minimum wage being at eleven dollars slave labor all of those conversations i think will be had but the majority of the conversation might accidentally just become was the horse people necessary mm-hmm. which is upsetting it's a large obstacle that I can understand most moviegoers wouldn't be able to uh, overcome. But I personally think that the horse people aspect simply forces you to talk about it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. If it was only about all of the cultural and political issues that we have in society, people wouldn't talk about it as much as when there are horse people in it. Mm-hmm. And so I think it was a great choice. I'm excited that they did that, but I completely understand the other side of the coin of it's just going to get in the way of the message. Yeah, but I, I think you bring up a good point of it's like you immediately texted everybody you knew and was like, go see this movie. And I'm sure there were some people that were like, oh, just tell me about it. And it's like, no, you need to go see it. I am <laughs> not going to tell you about this. It is fucking bonkers. Like, go watch it. Um, so I think, 
I doubt that that was the reason they were like, oh, let's make it horse people. Because how do you not tell someone to see a movie with horse people in it? But I hope the screenwriter <laughs> is listening to this podcast and yeah. is like, that's exactly yeah, why I did it. Yes. <laughs> it's this perfect storm of like sensationalism and also making a point. It's just like, all right, you got to pass. It's like a Trojan horse person. <laughs> That'll do it for this episode. Thank you all so much for listening. Please tune in next week when we talk about hoodwinked and subjective truth. If you liked us, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at two underscore bald men and find us on Facebook. And don't forget to rate and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts and SoundCloud. Thank you all again. And if you were driving, we hope you got to your destination safely and on time.